Thanks to Andrew last Sunday, we had a, a comprehensive introduction to this magnificent book of Hebrews, as well as a comprehensive look at Hebrews chapter 1. Andrew explained to us that Jesus Christ was one being with God the Father, that Jesus Christ was fully God. We heard that Jesus Christ was called God's Son. Jesus Christ was supreme over the prophets, the angels, Moses and Joshua. He was supreme over the old covenant with its priesthood and sacrificial system. That Jesus was the appointed heir, the creative agent, the personification of God's glory. He was wow. He was the perfect revelation of God, the final revelation of God, and he was the cosmic sustainer. And we thought this uh, fascinating and often unread book was best seen as the, the transcript of an early sermon of the church rather than a letter addressed to a distinct group of people and that it dated originally to the first century, probably before the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem in the year A.D. 70. It was accepted as part of the canon of the Bible by the Eastern Church early on, and it wasn't until the end of the fourth century that the Western Church formally adopted it into the canon of Scripture. And so with that brief introduction, we come to the passage tonight in Hebrews chapter 2 before us. And between the passage of Hebrews chapter 1 given to us by Andrew last week and the passage before us tonight, the preacher or writer has expounded how Jesus Christ is superior to the angels, particularly in regards to power and authority. That, of course, is one of the reasons that old hairy-legged Satan and his minions were cast out of heaven by God. Satan wanted power and authority to try and usurp God. So God cast them out. And we heard about Satan recently in our morning series under the preaching of Adam. As one of our enemies as Christians these last few Sunday mornings, the world, our old nature, and Satan. And the writer in these first few verses of chapter 2 encourages and exhorts his readers and listeners to be alert, to pay attention and stay focused on Jesus. The exhortation goes something like this. Stay with Jesus, you drongos. Do you really want to go backwards and be under submission to the law of Moses as expounded in that book of joy which we call Leviticus? And while the book of Leviticus is indeed a book of joy, the law can't save you. Salvation is to be found only in and through God's Son, the man we know as Jesus Christ. He alone can save because he is superior to the law in every way. As I said, don't be a drongo. Well, the author would say it like that if he was Australian, I guess. And so to our set passage tonight, Hebrews chapter 2. You'll be thankful that we uh, have broken it down into two or three sections. A, to help my voice, and also to help our listening. 
So these Hebrew Christians were under pressure to return to their origins and discard Christianity, giving up Jesus as their Messiah and Saviour. It would appear that one of the reasons these Hebraic Christians could not persevere was they seemingly had trouble believing that Jesus was God, but also human, fully human. That perhaps Jesus was some quasi-mix of God and man, where Jesus was indeed God, but he wasn't really human at all. I've heard it preached in churches like that. Not here, thankfully. And the writer expounds in this chapter of Hebrews that such thinking is complete and utter drivel. It's nonsense. Well, he would if he was Australian. So tonight we will concentrate on that aspect of Jesus, his full humanity. We'll also look at what that means for us today, some 2,000 years after the book of Hebrews was written or transcribed. And if the world to come is not subject to angels, then who will it be subjected to? The author goes on to quote from Psalm 8. As far as we know until Jesus came, Nobody had used this psalm to refer to the one person to whom people such as Abraham, Moses, Jacob, Joseph, David, etc. all look forward to come the Messiah, the Saviour. The one whom Moses referred to when he said, one greater than me is to come. It is and was in its original context about a human. Not a human in the fallen state of which we are now, but a human in the idealized state. Before the first created man, Adam, sinned by committing an act of disobedience against God. Humans, we were designed originally for splendor, honor, and authority. If that doesn't make you go well, nothing will. All this week I've had that word going around in my head as usual. Aubrey calls me the Mr. Wow Man. And Jesus quotes this in reference to himself in Matthew chapter 21. Later, the Apostle Paul cites it about Jesus in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And as I said earlier, as far as we know, there is no reference to this psalm being seen as talking about the Saviour or Messiah before the coming of Jesus. So Hebrews chapter 2, 8b to 9. And isn't this just magnificent? Read those verses, look at them. Isn't it astonishingly amazing? This Jesus being fully God, the one who created all that we see, and including us. This Jesus, who according to our writer back in Hebrews 1, is the sustainer of all creation. His creation. This Jesus choosing to become one of his creations so that his creation could choose to come back into a dynamic and intimate personal relationship with Almighty God. Mind-blowing, isn't it? Or is that just me? Is it just me that is having childlike awe at that thought just as I've had this week preparing, and in particular listening to familiar words as those in John chapter 1. The word of God became flesh. What's the word? Wow. Childlike awe. Not childish, 
childlike. The uncreated one became a created being and choosing to do so. That's what we're celebrating at Christmas, the incarnation and birth of Jesus Christ. Yet Christmas is only the beginning and we see that Jesus also went on to suffer many things as a human, including death. Why? So that he may taste death for everyone. The creator God becoming one of his created creatures and dying. That's what we remember when we partake of Holy Communion, just as we did last week and we will next week. In response to a commandment from this Jesus. And we know, however, from the historical record that death was not the end for Jesus, but a new beginning that he rose again from the dead to new life of splendor and honor, appeared to many witnesses before he ascended into the sky and back to the right hand of God the Father. That's what we celebrate at Easter, isn't it? Death has been defeated by Jesus. Wow. So, what reasons are given here for the death of Jesus? Here are four just from this passage. To bring many other humans to glory, that Jesus could be the pioneer of our salvation. Oh, thank you, Jesus. That humans could be made perfect through his sufferings. That Jesus, the creator God, the member of the Holy Trinity, the Son of God, could call those who choose to trust in him for salvation, his brothers and sisters. We're his family. And like it or not, I'm in your family. I know that scares some people, but tough. It's wow, double wow. If we're Christians, those who follow Jesus, we are his children, but also his family, his brother, his sister. That means we are loved and well-loved. Amazing, isn't it? I meet and talk to too many Christians who seem to have forgotten the wonder. I am gentle with them, by the way, most of the time. And then 14 to 18. Jesus' death also broke the power of old hairy legs, Satan. Are you afraid of death? Woody Allen once famously said, I'm not afraid of dying, I just don't want to be there when it happens. Jesus has died, so we may not be afraid of death and its power. I know that in the last 14 years I've died at least twice. And when I was a child, I was a poorly sick child as well, so I probably died a, a couple of times then. Who knows? Additionally, Jesus helps us in our troubles and in our trials just as he did with Adam last week. That's my experience, is it yours? It may not be in the time that you or I want, but he always comes and he always helps at the perfect time. Jesus Christ alone is the perfect sacrifice and priest for our sins, that is Jesus, fully God and fully human. And if Jesus was not fully human, then it would not be the atonement, the sacrifice that was required by God, and therefore we would still be in our sins. As for the temptation to do wrong against God and be disobedient, Jesus even endured that, didn't he? He did. 
Yet he did not succumb to temptation. Are you being tempted to sin? Tempted to deny your faith in some way? Then know that your Saviour Jesus has also overcome temptation. And if he can overcome it, so can you and I. Jesus could have chosen not to have gone to the cross and die. Yet he did go to the cross and die. He died for you and for your sins. He died for me and my many sins so that you and I could choose to live forever and be his brothers and sisters. That's what the author of this book is saying to his readers and listeners. Do you really, really, truly want to go back to your old life, be diverted and not have guaranteed and assured salvation, O Hebrew believers? That's what he's saying. For that brief look at Hebrews 2, let's now delve a little deeper into Jesus' humanity and what that means when we Christians say and affirm that Jesus was fully human. We know that Jesus was fully human and he was explicitly called a man. He was born of a woman, the woman we know as Mary. Therefore, at least in a prenatal state, Jesus was nurtured and formed as any other male baby was and is. And with his humanity, we know that Jesus exhibited normal human emotions such as love, weeping, sadness, anger, anguish. He smiled. He perspired. A cursory look at the Gospels will reveal that, won't it? Jesus ate and drank. He got hungry and thirsty. Jesus had a body and a soul. Jesus grew tired. He slept and perspired. He had human experiences, including temptations and hunger. Religiously, he worshipped as a Jew. He was human in every way that we are physically, mentally, and emotionally. And we know Jesus died just as all humans do. Yet, yet the only exception to this is that Jesus was born without the sinful nature that all other humans have. He was the Son of Man and the Son of God, and he did not inherit the tendency to sin that all human beings are born with. Adam talked about that in the morning service a couple of weeks ago, our old nature. And throughout his life, Jesus was blameless and sinless. He did no wrong. But why did Jesus need to be fully human? Jesus, not having to pay any price for his own sin because he was sinless, could therefore in his death pay the full price for the sins of all time. And people by his death and could therefore completely appease God's anger and satisfy God's righteous demands. And in this, we know that Jesus can empathize and pray for us. Jesus exhibited true and perfect humanity. Jesus, the ideal man, the ideal human. And due to his perfect humanity, Jesus is to be our example to follow. Then lastly, while God is both above and beyond creation, the incarnation of Jesus shows that God is not so far removed from us 
that he cannot interact with his creation. God is a personal God, is he not? And he desires all of humanity to be in a personal, direct, and intimate relationship with himself. Are you in that kind of relationship with him? And God's salvation plan for humanity involved triumphant victory over sin, over death, and over the grave. However, no person could be found that was eligible or capable to do this in all of history. And because of this, God himself stepped into human history so that this victory could be achieved. This God-man was to be fully human so as to live every feature of humanity, including sufferings and death. This God-man also needed to remain fully God so as to have the authority and power to defeat sin, death and the grave. This God-man we know as Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ who being without sin by being completely obedient to God in all facets of life was this God-man consisting as he did of two complete natures being fully God and fully human. That God-man, the idealized man, Jesus Christ, fully God and fully human and Jesus triumphed over sin, death, and the grave. And throughout history there have been some incorrect thinking and teaching about Jesus Christ. Some of it has crept into the, even into the churches today. And perhaps some of these thoughts were being perpetrated by the original readers or listeners of this book of Hebrews, causing them to want to abandon their faith and go back to Judaism. So let's look briefly at just three of them. First of all, there was docetism in the 3rd and 4th century. Uh, Bishop Serapion of Antioch believed that the, the material world was evil, which was a common thinking in both uh, Greek and Eastern philosophy. And so therefore, Jesus couldn't have had a real body, and he only appeared to be human. Eh, wrong. Jesus had scars, didn't he? He bled. Don't know where he was getting his thinking from. Then there's the Eutychian. Eutychus of Constantinople believes mixed Jesus' divine and human natures to create a third type of person where the human nature was absorbed into the divine. It's science fiction before there was science fiction. And probably most famous is Nestorian, which denied the union of the divine and human natures in Christ. So Christ actually became two people in one body. Don't know what drugs he was on. And sadly, though, even in some parts of the church today, these heresies are repeated. I've even heard them preach from pulpits. They're certainly repeated in the cults, such as Mormonism and Jehovah's Witnesses, aren't they? The Jesus of history was fully human, just as he was also simultaneously fully God. Truth combats error. And by learning the truth about God, we can avoid making the same mistakes. Help us keep our focus on Jesus and not be tempted away back to our old life or elsewhere. And another question. Why did Jesus become human? A wider picture than Hebrews 2 gives of why Jesus, the creator and sustainer of creation, 
would step into human history and become one of his creations and become a man. By becoming a man, Jesus humbled himself. He revealed God the Father. He became humanity's high priest. He became humanity's advocate and intercessor before God. He came to destroy all the works of old Satan, getting him to wax his legs. Gave an example of living a life which was completely pleasing to God in every facet and obedience to God in every facet of life. And he came to prepare for the redemption of all creation that final day, that day of ultimate wow. And in this way, God himself has taken on the responsibility for the sins and disobedience of all humanity of all time, past, present and future. Jesus, the Son of God, bore all the sins of the entire world of all time on the cross when he died. And in doing so, Jesus Christ became sin for us. Even though he was himself, as we know, sinless and without error or disobedience of or towards God. Wow. And by doing this, we are drawn to him in a personal, intimate way, aren't we? Or again, is that just me? I mean, I'm used to thinking by myself, as some of you know. But on this I know I'm not alone. In and through the birth, life, death, resurrection, and ascension of the man we know as Jesus, God has shown that he loves us. And he wants us to be in an active, dynamic, intimate, and personal relationship with himself. And through Jesus, God has bridged the gap between the supernatural and the natural, the finite and the infinite, to show us what God himself is truly like. Jesus as God in person gives us a focal point to respond to, somebody to focus our eyes on. God does not force humanity to love him, but compellingly and magnetically invites all people to enter and engage with him in a dynamic, personal, intimate relationship, which is dynamic. And Jesus, while being fully God, never lost any of his divinity when he became human. And instead of losing anything, he gained humanity. We know Jesus was made just like us, and we also know that God the Son, the Word, Jesus Christ, became human and took on flesh, as we heard in our reading in John 1. So with all that said, I'll give my voice a rest. And we'll have a break for a couple of minutes of silence while we gather our thoughts before coming back for a conclusion. O oh Lord, from here on never leave us, but stay and dwell with and within each of us, for your presence is our comfort and consolation, just as your absence is our sorrow. O oh Holy Spirit, Come into our heart and draw us so near to God that the things of the world may be nothing to us. Inflame our heart with your love and there let it burn without ceasing, day by day by day. Come, we pray, O God, Father, Son and Spirit, for you are our true joy. 
You are our only desire. And you are our sweetest love. Amen. That was a prayer based on the morning star of the English Reformation, John Wycliffe. Moving swiftly on, we have hopefully seen tonight from this passage in Hebrews that Jesus is and was fully human, a human just as each of us are. Jesus, the Son of Man and the Suffering Servant, Jesus is and was a Messiah, a Saviour, a Redeemer and a Rescuer. Jesus, the Son of God, who was sent by God to restore the world back into a personal, intimate, dynamic and living relationship with God. I hope that is what you saw and heard, despite my limitations tonight. And when I preached here about six years ago now, I described my daily wow factor of Jesus. This wow factor involved Jesus being completely unique, majestic, tender, wise, strong and lovely. This Jesus who is always at hand for me to help me wipe my tears, give me joy, relieve my frustrations, give clarity over confusion and give me peace. And I have to ask, is this also your Jesus? That's my Jesus whom I, I seek to serve and obey in every facet of life, every day. I rarely achieve it. But I know that when I fail, I can ask for forgiveness and he will grant it from his wellsprings of grace and mercy. Again, is that your experience? Because it's mine, daily. It's this Jesus whom I depend upon and personally know to be totally reliable in every way. When people let me down, turn away from me, deliberately ignore me, discourage me, think wrongly of me, uh, incorrectly assume my motives, this Jesus always, always, always picks me up. He never turns me away. He always encourages me and he always embraces me. Sometimes he's got to give me a little kick, but that again could just be me. Do you know him? Have you met this Jesus? All through each day, from morning to evening, I know that Jesus has been dependable going ahead of me. It's amazing that somebody could love me like that. This Jesus who, who died on a Roman cross 2,000 years ago was the, the same Jesus who was raised from the dead without decay into newness of life and ascended back to the right hand of God the Father. Jesus died for me and he died also for you so that we may have life everlasting. There's only one saviour for this world. That is what the writer of Hebrews has been saying throughout and continues to say throughout this book. There will never be another saviour of this world because there is no need of another. Do you see the wow factor of Jesus in all this? With that childlike awe that we should have. One day, all suffering and evil will be gone, banished, vanished and exubulated. Oh, what a joyous day of wow that will be. 
Jesus is the only way, the only truth, and the only life, despite the bleatings of other people. Jesus is the only great shepherd and the only door to life with God. Jesus is the only light of the world and the only gateway to a restored life with God into a personal, dynamic, intimate relationship with God. And Jesus calls everyone to partake of the nourishment and shelter only he can provide. Are you one of his followers yet? And if we call ourselves a Christian, a follower and disciple of this Jesus we have heard about tonight, we know that we are being transformed into the image of Jesus and will continue to be transformed into the image of Jesus until Jesus returns once more for us and for his body, the church. And sometimes this transformation involves comfort. And at other times we need to be challenged, don't we? Or again, is that just me? How is your Christian walk? Are you feeling frail and weak in your faith? Do you feel like giving up on being a Christian? Talk to God. Be honest in your feelings with him. He will help you. Talk to other Christians whom you you trust, love and respect. Please, if you like that, go see somebody here after the service has finished shortly and ask for help. There are plenty of caring people here who will help if you ask them. From experience, this is a caring community here, is it not? Are you suffering in some way tonight? Hand it to Jesus if you haven't already. Remember that with Jesus, with Jesus we have a God who is not remote from our suffering. Not some impersonal being, but this God has suffered just as we have and are. Suffering in all manner of ways, just as we do. Again, is that my experience alone? I think not. He is... This God has known grief himself. Remember Jesus weeping? He will dry your tears too, just as he will dry mine. And one day if we persevere, he will physically take our face in his scarred hands and wipe away our tears. Tears of pain and tears of unutterable and inexorable joy. Again, Talk to somebody here in this caring community of people. I've experienced that care in the last 11 years of being here. Yes, Adam, it's been that long. Jesus Christ cares for us through his people, including people here. And if you're being tempted in some area of life to disobey God, ask for his help to overcome the temptation. Jesus was tempted to be disobedient to God as well and he overcame those temptations and Jesus is to be our example. And we remember that if we do indeed succumb to temptation and sin against God or our our brothers and sisters or other people, we have an advocate before God the Father, don't we? That's one of the reasons that Jesus came to earth as a man. And that advocate is Jesus Christ, which means we can ask for forgiveness of our sins from God's wellsprings of grace and mercy and be cleansed anew, refilled anew with the Spirit. 
And this is only by, in, and through Jesus Christ alone. That's part of his teaching on prayer and the Lord's Prayer, isn't it? And when we sin, when we disobey God, it's as if we forget who we are as Christians. We forget that we are God's child. And we forget that we have true freedom in Christ, through Christ and with Christ. Again, is that your experience? I know it's mine. Dodgy memory apart. And we need to remember that as Christians, because God the Son became a human in the man we know as Jesus Christ, that we were bought at a price. We now have a new position before God. We were bought out of slavery to sin into being servants to, of, and for God the Son, Jesus Christ alone. We can't serve two masters, can we? We find out that we are Jesus' personal possession and family and that we are in an amazingly personal, intimate, and dynamic relationship with God. Oh, how easy it is to forget these things. Is it just me that forgets these things easily? I know that when I'm disobedient towards God, have sinned against him and other people, that I have indeed forgotten these things. Subconsciously, at least. And because of Jesus, you are his brother or sister. He loves you. And because of his death and resurrection, you are in his family if you have made that decision to be so. Because he loves you, you are being transformed into his image. You still have and will continue to have your own identifiable personality and traits, but you are being changed and transformed into the likeness of Jesus. One day you will be normal like me. Think about it. That scares some people I know. And remember, because Jesus Christ died, rose again, and ascended back to the Father, so will all of us who claim him as their saviour. We as Christians will live, die, and rise again to ascend into glory. That's what Paul writes about in Colossians chapter 3. And God is wanting all people to be in relationship with him, but it's our responsibility to choose that way. God does not force. He leaves it as a choice for humans to make as individuals. God's love doesn't force because if it did, then it wouldn't be love, it would be tyranny, wouldn't it? However, God's love is compelling. It is magnetic. It is attractive calling people into relationship with himself. God's love for humanity, exemplified in the cross of Jesus as we saw in part tonight. Let's go from here to tell somebody this week about this God of love. We can at least ask, can't we? Can we not? Is there anybody there? And just as God loves each of us as individuals, we are also to love others in our Christian family and those outside it. What did Jesus say? Jesus said that those outside the church will know who we Christians are by the love that we have for each other. Loving others within the church is outreach. 
That's evangelism, at least in part. It's a witness to those outside of the church of and for God of love that we proclaim and live for, isn't it? For example, if you know somebody has a need and you can fulfill that need, why not be the answer to that person's prayer? Whether it's a known prayer or silent prayer. That's love in action, is it not? You and I are loved by God as exemplified and exhibited in the birth, life, death, resurrection, and ascension and glorification of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, fully God and fully human. Let each one of us go love other people with this love to the glory of God the Father, through the name of God the Son, Jesus Christ, and in the power of the Holy Spirit, who lives within each one of us, seals us as his child, and unites this church's family. As I've said, I'm your family whether you want me to be or not. Tough. Let's go tell and show others about this Jesus and how he can help people, just as he has helped you and I and countless others today and down through history. Will there be one other person in heaven because of you and what you have said or done? And if you're not, I have to say this, if you're not yet a Christian and you want to hear more about becoming a follower of this Jesus, do ask somebody here to help you. Aubrey would love to, I'm sure. Jesus is calling you by name to be in a loving, dynamic, personal and intimate relationship with himself, with God. Jesus died fully human, so that you could be. Don't leave here tonight without talking to somebody. I know Adam would love to. I know Chris and Sue, who did our readings, would love to. They would love to see you and talk to you. They won't force you, but they will help you if you ask. Finally, I can hear the hallelujahs. You may recognize this painting. Salvatore Mundi, as it was in the news recently. It means saviour of the world. And an article in the Guardian newspaper stated this. I don't normally read the Guardian. It's too expensive. This is what the article wrote. In a mainstream paper, this painting by Leonardo da Vinci, circa early 1500s, has just been sold for about £305 million. That makes it the most expensive painting ever. It is called Salvatore Mundi and depicts Christ, hand raised as if about to give a priestly blessing or benediction. He is the saviour of the world, says Leonardo. And the writer of the article goes on. No, we're not. Salvation is top-down. We are as dependent upon Salvatore Mundi as we are dependent upon the rain. You can't get saved by doing, by being good. It's not that morality is a bad thing per se, but that it does not reach into the darkest parts of human nature. It cannot save us. The Christianity of Salvatore Mundi 
is designed specifically for all people. And the good news is that it doesn't cost 300 million pounds to find it, which is probably just as well. Flat out scraping 300 pence. You only have to ask. And it only ever comes for free. Jesus, the ideal man, the God-man says, come and follow me. Will you start following him even from tonight? And before I pray, one, one final word for each of us tonight, whether we're Christians or not. Ask. Let's finish quickly with prayer. Father, thank you for the, again, for this amazing freedom that we have in this country to, to congregate, to worship, to come around your written word, your written word which reveals the living word to us. Thank you that in our weakness you are strong. And I pray that each one of us may go from here, including myself, knowing that not only that we met with each other, but that we have met with you, the intimate, personal and dynamic God. May we go into this week strengthened with this knowledge. Help us to go into this week to be dynamic witnesses for you. Help us this week, O God, to stay close to you. Oh, Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that we're not left alone and that you have sent the Holy Spirit to live within us, seal us as your children, and unite us as family. And all of God's people said, Amen.